God, I just pray that those exact words that we were just singing would be so true not only of our worship, but they would be true of the way that we, as the church, come together and and live every aspect of our lives. That it wouldn't just be we sing these words well or we're really kind to one another when we're in these situations together, but God... that at the core of who we are would be Jesus. God, I just pray that you would use us, you would change us to look more and more like your son in a powerful way that we could stand out as gospel deliverers and that your the truth of who you are would so shine through us. God, I feel really inadequate to stand here and deliver your word this morning. God, I don't know exactly what it is that you have to say to us, but God, I just pray that you would send your Holy Spirit into this place and, and speak through me and, and work in the ears of the people that are here to hear the word that you have for us this morning. God, that... This wouldn't be about me delivering some notes that I've made throughout the week, but instead, God, that it would be about your Holy Spirit moving in this place and causing us to look more like your Son. God, work in a a powerful and miraculous way among us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. So you can go ahead and start turning to Matthew chapter 15. We're going to finish the chapter this week. And you heard me praying that I feel really inadequate to preach this week, and I really do kind of feel that way. Like, I've said to several different people this week that this was a tough sermon prep for me. Like, I wasn't sure exactly where we were supposed to go with this, what God was trying to say to CRC this week at this time through these verses. Um... Because some of them feel very familiar. We're going to be reading a story that's very similar to a story that took place just a couple of weeks ago that we studied. And it was, I was having the struggle, how do I teach this passage without teaching the exact same sermon that Caleb would have taught, you know, three, four weeks ago? Um, And and it's really been a struggle, and I've really been just kind of reading reading these verses, reading some other portions of Scripture. And I think think that God has some specific passages that he wants us to read. But, But I'm going to be honest with you. Prior to this morning and prior to maybe even on the drive in as I'm sitting here thinking and praying and, and even while I'm sitting here praying while Nick's up here singing, I'm just, I'm, 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 see- I'm seeing God saying, maybe this is the direction that you're supposed to go with this. So, so if it's really bad, it's me. If it's really good, it's not me. It's the Holy Spirit. Um, because, because like I said, I really like personally have struggled with how do I teach these verses in a meaningful and powerful way. And maybe it's just that I have been making too much of my ability to make this really important and do something impressive with it. So we're just going to trust that the Holy Spirit is going to work this morning. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 15. Um, Just to kind of remind everybody of 
where we are, where Jesus' ministry is right now. Um, He had taken a boat across the Sea of Galilee, and he was in a Gentile region. And last week, a Gentile woman had come to him and said, can you heal my daughter? She is not well. And Jesus' response was essentially, that's not my purpose here. My purpose is to come and minister to the people of Israel. You are not my primary focus. And she said, yes, but, but even though you're, you're doing that, there are times that that benefit, that blessing to, to God's people will kind of fall down and benefit the people around. It will benefit me too. And I have faith that you can do that for me. And Jesus, amazed at her faith, granted her request, healed her daughter. So we've seen already that Jesus, though his primary mission is to the Jews, is to the people of Israel, that doesn't mean that he is exclusively focused on and to the neglect of the other people of the world. And we're going to continue to see that because because in the end of chapter 15, Jesus is still traveling through Gentile regions And he's still, all of these people that he's going to be ministering to today are still Gentiles. And when I say Gentiles, for the most part, I mean all of us. I don't know that anybody in here is a Jew. But if you are, Jesus loves all of us. And we're going to see that by the end of this. But but today, for the most part, this is us. We are the people who had been excluded by the people of God up to this point. They had, they had treated us very separately. They had, they had tried to say, no, God is only interested in working with us to the exclusion of all of these other nations. They had, they had missed the point of what the promise made to Abraham was originally. And that's a promise that we're going to come back to in just a little bit. So if you're in Matthew chapter 15, I'm going to go ahead and read verses 29 through 39. And we'll just kind of see the whole story, and then we'll kind of pick it apart just a little bit. So Matthew 15, verse 29. Jesus went on from there and walked beside the Sea of Galilee. And he went up on the mountain and sat down there. And great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And they put put them at his feet, and he healed them. So the crowd wondered when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, the lame walking, and the blind seeing. And they glorified the God of Israel. Then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they've been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And I am unwilling to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. And the disciples said to him, where are we to get enough bread in such a desolate place to feed so great a crowd? And Jesus said to them, how many loaves do you have? They said, seven and a few small fish. And directing the crowd to sit down on the ground, he took the seven loaves and the fish, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds, and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up seven baskets full of, broken, of the broken pieces left over. Those who ate were 4,000 men besides the women and children. And after sending away the crowds, he got into a boat and went to the region of Magadan. So we read a story, basically the exact same thing a couple of weeks ago, except it was 5,000 people. So, so what's remarkable What's remarkable about the fact that he does it again? Well, A, it's still pretty remarkable that he takes seven loaves of bread and two fish and or a, few, or a few small fish and he feeds 4,000 people. And I don't want us as the church to kind of get numb to the idea that he does this amazing and miraculous thing. And I don't want us to get numb to the idea that when we read these kind of 
summary passages right before that where he says, and a bunch of people came to him and he healed them. And, and, there were, and the lame were walking and the, the mute were speaking and the blind were seeing. I don't want us to take that for granted as the church. Right? Because it's so easy to read this and because we're so used to, to either watching watching all sorts of crazy science fiction stuff or whatever it may be on TV or because we read lots of, lots of things with all sorts of amazing fantasy things happening, whatever it may be, <coughs> excuse me, whatever it may be, I don't want us to be kind of desensitized to the wonder that's taking place when we hear about what Jesus is doing. He really is taking people who cannot walk, who cannot see, who cannot, who cannot hear, who cannot speak, And he's giving them the ability to, to, I mean, especially at this time, live a full life. Like be able to provide for themselves where they would have been limited and unable to maybe even eat on a regular basis because of these things that that are holding them back. And I don't want us as the church to see these things and say, oh yeah, he did all those things. That's cool. That's really cool. That's great. But, but to think, these are people, like, like think through some of the craziest things that, that you could imagine happening. Imagine if you were unable to walk, if you had never taken a step. Imagine if you had never seen anything. And Jesus is opening your eyes to see and fully understand what creation is. Like you wouldn't have an idea of what creation even looked like. People had told you that a thing was called a tree, but you have no idea what a tree is. And he gives you this ability to fully understand what a tree is. Imagine how amazing that must be. And, I, and, and as I read these passages, I'm like, yeah, it's a summary passage, yeah. If you've been here on Sunday nights, when we read Acts, Acts gives us lots of these little summary passages where it's like, and lots of good things happen. It's like, cool, lots of good things happen. And it's really easy to just kind of take those and be like, yep, that happened, moving on. Where's the next really important part of the story? But I want us to be amazed at what Jesus is doing here and more so be amazed at at, at who it is that he's performing these miracles for. Because just last week, Jesus said, I'm not really primarily here for this group of people. But yet he finds himself surrounded by All of these Gentile people, they're coming to him and he's healing them. He's performing these same miracles in the same way that he did for his Jewish brothers and sisters a couple of days prior. He's treating them exactly the same way. So even though Jesus' primary mission was to the people of Israel, that did not mean that he treated them exclusively like the only people in the world. And this was, this, was the, this was kind of the mindset shift that had taken place between the time that God made the promise to Abraham and what happened at this point in Israel, right? Because we've seen, we've seen that, that the people of Israel, and, and Caleb talked about this last week when he was talking about the way that Jesus spoke to this woman who had come to him, right? What, 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 lang- what kind of hard language did he use? He said, it's not right for the dogs to eat from the master's table, right? And, and we said that, This was the language that he used because this is the language that everybody used. They didn't think of people outside of the Jewish nation, outside of the the chosen ones of God, God's chosen people. They didn't think of them as, as worthy of the love of God, as worthy of the blessings of God, and they didn't think that the promise was at all intended for them. 
They thought, all of this is for us. God loves us. God's separating us from them, and that's it. That's the end of God's purpose. But what we see is Jesus sitting down on this mountainside and then even looks at his disciples and says, I have compassion on these people. I feel for these people. These people are hungry. They've been following me for days. I will not be satisfied until we're able to feed these people because I'm concerned for them, because I love them. And so so I don't want us to get into this mindset when, when it's like, this is my primary mission. The thing that I have been called to is this. I have been called to this major, this program, this sort of thing at school. I've been called to this job, or I've been called to minister in this way, or I've been called to reach this this group of people. Don't think that just because you have a primary goal that God has called you to, that that does not mean that there won't be areas where God's going to allow you to expand your ministry to other groups of people. Don't think that you're supposed to be so locked in to this one thing that that is to the exclusion or maybe even dismissal of others or other types of mission. Jesus was among the people that he wasn't primarily there for, and yet he had compassion for them, yet he wanted to serve them, yet he wanted to make sure that they were fed too. And what we see is, as he's doing these things, in that summary passage in 29 through 30, what, 31, what's the result of Jesus' compassion for these people? What's the result of Jesus working all of these miraculous things out in front of these people? Verse 31, the crowd wondered when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, and the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. Right? They're seeing this for what it should be seen as. This is a miraculous work of this one God that we have not had our eyes set on. Right? Remember when Jesus was, and, we talk, and Caleb kind of mentioned this last week, remember when Jesus was offering all of these woes to all of these, these Jewish cities? He's saying, if I was performing these same works among the Gentiles, they would be loving it. They would be glorifying God. They would be celebrating. They would be rejoicing in who God is and what it is that he is accomplishing. And we're seeing that played out right here. Jesus, not among his people, is not being rejected. He's doing these things, and instead of people saying, you're doing that by the power of Satan, or you're not doing that in the way that that, that our rules and our laws that we've added on top of this would say that you're allowed to do that. No, they're saying, this is fantastic. You are the God that we should be serving. We want more of this. We want to follow you. And we can talk about whether or not these people are all having true salvation experiences, but, but it seems to me, as I'm reading this, when I read this, they glorified the God of Israel. I'm seeing this idea of they're coming to him saying, we have no hope, we have nothing left to do. And they're worshiping God as a result of what they're seeing. And this is, this is a big deal. Because, because Jesus hasn't really been welcomed by large crowds and celebrated for more than just, hey, can we have more of this? Or can you heal us a little bit more? Can we do this? We don't usually get this description where it says that they start celebrating God for who he is. And I think that that is worth noting. That that even though Jesus' primary focus was to minister to the children of Israel, in this moment where where he deviated outside of that 
and had compassion on this other group of people, he saw some of the biggest and most powerful response to glorifying God that he's seen at this point in his ministry. And I think that's fascinating because he, was, because he wasn't so locked in and wasn't saying, well, this is the only way that I'm supposed to do it. We see that, we see that God is blessing it and God is, God is causing these people to celebrate him for who he is. I also think it's interesting, when, and when you read this, this story of the 4,000 people getting fed, it is so similar to what we studied a couple of weeks ago. And when we talked about it a couple of weeks ago, we asked the question, and maybe you talked about this a little bit in your community groups, we talked about why is it that Jesus asks this question to his disciples? And, we, and some of us kind of got to the point where it's like, I think he's asking this question of them to kind of just say, I'm going to give you a chance just to kind of see where your heart is, where your faith is on all this. And how'd they do the first time? They totally bombed it. They're like, there's no way. You're just going to have to send them away. There's no way we can feed these people. They forget that they have the Son of God standing in front of them who's ready to do something miraculous. And so I kind of wonder if yet again, Jesus is kind of offering a little bit of a litmus test. Let's just kind of see how we've grown from here. And what we see is they're still not there. They're still not fully I guess, surrendered to the fact that this is who he says he is and he can do amazing, amazing things. Because he, again, says, how are you going to feed them? What do you have? And they're like, we don't have enough bread. There's no way that we could have enough bread for these people to eat. And I think it's still kind of just this reminder, guys, I want you to understand who I am. I want you to understand what we're able to accomplish here. And I think it's just more trying to reinforce this. And the more they get this opportunity to see him go so far above and beyond what seems possible, the more he's kind of shaping their, their faith. He's kind of saying, look, you really can see that I am able to do this. You can trust that I am able to accomplish this. Which is fascinating because, because in the next chapter is where we're going to really see this, this really strong shift from Jesus ministering to large crowds in front of his disciples to Jesus really honing in and focusing and ministering directly to his disciples and preparing them for their leadership when his time of ministry is completed. And I think that we're like this too. We're like the disciples too, where sometimes it takes a couple of times of God reminding us of how faithful and how good and how powerful he is to really understand, oh, He's able to take care of this. We don't have to worry about it. I mean, I could be very practical with this. There have been many weeks here at CRC on Sundays where we're, where we're like, I don't think we have enough food for everybody to stay for lunch today. And we'll start saying, all right, so we'll eat last and we'll make sure that everybody else gets to eat. And if we have to, we'll go grab something later. That's not a big deal, whatever. And we've said loaves and fishes so many times, right? We, we have said this to one another because it's like, I don't know that we have enough food for everybody who showed up. Like, we'll have one of those weeks where, like, we're expecting 25 people to show up. We'll bring enough food for 25 people, and then 50 people will be here. And we'll be like, this is great. We're glad all these people are here. How are we going to feed them? And then everybody will go through line, and then we'll have a little bit of food left over at the end. And we'll be like, sorry we doubted, right? And I think, I think God kind of puts these things in front of us sometimes to say, do you get it yet? Do you trust me yet? Do you think that I'm able to take care of you yet? And I think sometimes we are just hard-headed and stubborn people. 
and it's difficult for us to admit he really is able to take care of us. So maybe, maybe you're sitting there thinking of some area of your life where you are hard-headedly resistant to, think, to letting God be in control. And you're saying, you know what? I don't think you're able to take care of this yet, God. I don't think you're going to be able to feed me. Or I don't think you're going to be able to help get me through this thing. This is just too hard. I'm at, I'm at the end. This is it. I'm ready to give in. There's just too much world going on right now. And I think... Again and again and again, God proves himself to be faithful to take care of us. And, and, and eventually, we as a people are going to be like, I trust him. He's slowly changing us. He's slowly changing our hearts. He's slowly changing the way that we are able to have faith that he is going to provide for us. And I think that's just kind of how he's treating his disciples. I think he's just kind of saying, guys, you see it again. You doubt it again. And I did it again. I fed him again. It wasn't... It wasn't anything more miraculous. It was, it was the exact, like, I'm still the exact same Jesus that I was a couple of days ago when I fed another large group in a very similar way. And so I want us to be thinking as, as believers, as the church, how am I like the disciples in this? How do I, how do I repeatedly put myself in this same mindset where it's like, no, God isn't going to be able to make this okay. God isn't going to be able to provide this time. This is the time. There's no way. There's no hope. Everything's, everything's falling apart. No chance. And instead, look at, the way, look at the disciples and say, man, they're so hard-headed. I guess that's me. I guess I'm resistant to, to, to letting go and saying, I guess Jesus really can take care of this. I guess Jesus really can provide where he says he's going to provide. There's no reason for us to freak out about food on Sunday mornings because God has consistently said, I'm going to make sure that everything's good. If, if God wants us all to eat, we're all going to be able to eat. Now, granted, it's quesadilla week, so we'll probably not all get everything that we want because we keep eating quesadillas over and over and over again because quesadillas are popular. So what's the biggest difference between these two stories? And, and, and this is, this is kind of techy. If you want to look at uh, a lot of the, the commentary stuff I looked at, it was like, here's a thing that you might want to think about when you're looking at this. So what's the biggest difference in these two stories? We have different size groups of people, and that's, that's a thing. But, but look, at, look at, at the end. At the end of the story where Jesus feeds the 5,000, they take up 12, 12 baskets full of loaves, and you're like, why is that significant? And there are a bunch of different ways that you can interpret why 12 baskets is so significant. Maybe it's to be representative of Jesus completing his mission of coming to the 12 tribes of Israel or something along these lines. And there are a couple of different things that the number 12 is significant for. Um, it, could be, it could be representative of the 12 apostles and he's, and he's trying to, to make a point to his 12 apostles, look what I'm able to accomplish, this sort of thing. But it's a different number of baskets. And, and Matthew is... It makes a point. He wants us to know that there were seven baskets full of bread that were picked up at the end of this feeding. He wants us to know that that number is important. But why is that number important? Well, if you want to, so, so the number of seven, the number seven is representative of the idea of completion, fulfillment, being taken care of fully. And when you see that this is a miracle that's taking place in a Gentile region, where all the nations of the world, in a sense, are being represented, it seems like Matthew's trying to make the point that the ultimate fulfillment of Jesus' ministry, though, though his primary focus was to Israel, 
was that he's trying to reach the world. The whole point of this is that the gospel is to reach the entirety of the world. And this is the representation of kind of the completeness of the world being reached by Jesus' miraculous working. And that may be like, you may be like, that seems like a stretch. I don't know that I buy it. But I definitely think that there is something to the fact that Jesus is ministering to this people group in a way that in, in, in a way bigger than anyone in the church had done at this point. And so I think it, it, it causes us to say, we need to back up and say, so what really was the purpose of Jesus' ministry? Because he said last week, I'm not here for you. I'm here for the Jews. I'm here for Israel. What really was the ultimate purpose of Jesus' ministry? Because I think Matthew's trying to point us to this is really what Jesus' ultimate purpose was. So if you want to, go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15. Because Paul is going to give us a really interesting explanation of the purpose of why Jesus was here and who that was for and how all of this starts to tie together. So Romans chapter 15, I'm going to pick up in verse 8. Uh, he says, For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised, that's, that's Israel, to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. So, so his first purpose was he has to be here and minister to Israel because God said that his son was going to come and minister to Israel. That's the promise made to Abraham. But there's more. Verse 9. And in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing your name. And again it said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, the root of Jesse being Jesus, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you all with joy and peace in believing so that the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. So that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. So here's what he's saying. He's saying, yes, Jesus came as a fulfillment of a promise made to Abraham that he was going to he was going to save the people of Israel. He was going to save God's chosen people. But the ultimate purpose of Christ's coming was that so through that ministry, the world might know who he is. Every time in those quotations that we just read in chapter 15 of Romans, where it says the word Gentiles, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles, rejoice, O Gentiles, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. Every single one of those, if you go back and you read it in the Old Testament, it's translated as the word nations. So I, I think we understand the idea that when we say, say Gentiles, we're talking about everybody else that's not a Jew. Yes, we understand that. But, but just to give us a better context, what, what he's saying is Jesus is the hope for the nations. Jesus is the hope for all peoples, all the people groups around the world. Right? It's not, it doesn't just end with this one small nation of however many million that he started with when they were pulled out of Egypt. It was ultimately that, and, and remember that, we remember this because this is what he said to Abraham. 
I'm going to make you a great nation, and through you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. That was always the point. That was always the purpose. Jesus was always here to show God's faithfulness to Israel as a testimony to the rest of the world. That through the testimony of who Jesus is and what he is accomplishing during his time on earth, that the rest of the world will glorify God as well. And we get a snapshot of that here in Matthew chapter 15. We're getting to see Jesus' ministry affecting the rest of the world. We're getting to see the impact of who Jesus is and what it is that he has been working out among all these people, having a real impact in the lives of the people of the nations. So how is this important? What are we supposed to do with that knowledge? Why does it matter that we know why Jesus was here and what his ultimate purpose was? How am I supposed to be affected by this? I refuse to go off on a political tangent. But what I will say is, right now, our country is in a really divisive place. Nobody's really... They're, they're, everybody has lots of groups of people that they either really like or they really dislike for lots of different reasons. We are so divided over so many issues. And one of the biggest issues that we've been facing in the last week or so has been how does our country relate to the rest of the world with regard to opening borders, closing borders, um, keeping people from coming in. I'm not trying to get into my opinion or even the Bible's opinion on how policy stuff should work. But here's what I can say about how I feel we as the church should work. Our hope is that we be like Jesus. Our hope is that we, we model our lives after his. And here's a couple of observations that I've made just from Matthew chapter 15. One, Jesus is aware of national borders. Right? He said that last week. I am aware that this is my primary focus. I'm aware that this is the area that I am in and that you are in a different group. So it has nothing, I'm not trying to make a point about saying national borders are irrelevant, everybody's all one. That's not the point. Jesus is aware of national borders, but Jesus is compassionate for the people that are right there with him. Jesus is compassionate for the people of the world. And regardless of what Every policy is being implemented in your country, regardless of what the mentality is of this group of political people or this group of political people or wherever you stand. I really don't care where you stand as far as why, how you think that the way our nation's going right now is good, bad, or if you're indifferent. Whatever, we should be defined by our compassion for people. And we, like Jesus, should have a deep passion and love for the nations. So whether or not, I, I, I don't know that it's our place necessarily to argue that this country should be letting people in or this country should be keeping people out. What should matter is, are you more concerned that you want to make sure the gospel gets to the people wherever they are? Maybe it's not that you need to be fighting for people to get in here just so it's fair, or maybe you need to be fighting to keep people out just so it's safe. Whatever it may be, whatever your argument may be, maybe instead you should get up and you should go to the other nations and you should take the gospel with you when you go there. Maybe instead of being so focused on 
the specifics of policy and the specifics of how our nation's doing this, maybe we shouldn't be distracted by the politics of today and we should live not as citizens of of the United States of America or whatever nation you are from, but instead be citizens of the kingdom of God and we should instead take that mission and that role and say, we're going to follow Jesus. And Jesus says that we're supposed to have compassion for all the peoples of the world and we're going to take the gospel there to them. I've said this so many times, I'm going to say it again. I am tired tired of Twitter. I'm tired of Facebook. I am tired of, of chat boards and news sites with comment sections. Like, I am tired of, of people that I know and know love Jesus being so publicly argumentative over things that ultimately aren't why we as the church are here. I'm so tired of us being defined by, I want to make sure that you think this way about this thing or that you are, you are angered in the way that I'm angered about this. I am so done with it. And I would so much rather see us be a people who are defined by, I am so passionate about seeing the gospel reach the people of my neighborhood or the rest of this nation or all of these other nations that still need Jesus. And I would much rather see us not be the people who are, I got to get on here and post this, and I got to get on here and respond to this, and I got to get on here. Oh, I found an article that really supports the position that I am, and I got to make sure to get that out there so that you can see it. And, and if you challenge me, I've got three more articles ready to post to back it up. I'm done with it. I don't want that to be us. I don't want us to be known for being petty and argumentative people. I want us to be known as people who love the world like Jesus did, and, and even though perhaps your primary mission, perhaps what God has called you to is not to get up, sell everything, and go. Maybe that's not what he's called you to, and maybe you're sitting here thinking, well, it's a good thing he's not called me to that, because that sounds really hard. But that doesn't mean that he's not going to ask you to sometimes step outside of what your primary focus is, just like Jesus did. And it might be that you have to go somewhere uncomfortable for a time. It might be that you have to go outside of your comfort zone and talk to a person that you don't really want to talk to. You might have to go into a neighborhood or, or a city or some place that you're like, I don't feel comfortable doing that. I feel really safe right here. And that's not what Jesus is doing. He's going outside of his comfort zone. And in the end, it's not going to be fun for him as a result of the ministry that he's doing. I'm not saying it's going to be easy or it's going to be comfortable or it's going to be a blast every time. But what I can say is our hope is in Jesus. Our hope is that we get him and he is our reward. And as we see that he's able to accomplish all of these things, why do we bother trying to argue to make the, our world fit this one paradigm that we have, why don't we instead just chase after him and chase after taking the gospel wherever we can go? Like, can we do that? Can we let go? Can we, can we, can we kind of unplug from the I have to make sure that you know how I feel about this? And instead be like, I want you to know how I feel about this guy. Can that be how we're defined? That's my hope. Let's pray. God, this is a hard ask. 
especially right now. Like our country is in such a place where, where it seems like everything that we talk about is how I respond to this person's opinion and this political agenda and that sort of thing. And God, I don't want us to be defined by that. And I, don't, I feel like that's not how you want us to be defined either. God, you ask us to pray for our leaders and respect our leaders and honor our leaders because you've put them there. And God, I pray that you, you would be working through our government in such a way that you can bring glory to yourself, that people can be saved, that you'll be able to work miraculous things in the lives of people through, through our government. But, but God, I also pray that our hope would not be in our government or, or in the way that we interact with our government, but that, God, you would cause us to be people defined by our our passionate chasing after you. God, I pray that you would give us hearts that, that just want to know you and be with you, God. God, give us, give us new hearts. That love you, want you. God, make us like Jesus. Make us a people that, that see a people in need, that see a people that need him and, and are so moved to compassion that so feel like, you just need this. I know what you need. I have the answer. God, make us those kinds of people that so love people, that want people to know you. In Jesus' name, amen.